Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, we give you thanks this day, a day you have made. And as a church, Spring of Life wants to pray for the Dominguez family. We want to pray for Mary, uh, Carlos's wife and his children, Carlos Jr., and Stephanie, Father God, and the youngest child, Father. We pray that the Holy Spirit might comfort them in this time. We pray that you have mercy upon them and set them in a course that would make them more intentional and deliberate to serve you, for this life is passing. We pray that you give them wisdom that they might number their days. We pray that even the word that we share today in the house of God would be an assurance in our hearts not to play around with these things, because... The year hasn't even finished off. We thought we we're going to be celebrating for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, even into the new year, Lord, and we don't know how much more time we have upon this earth. So we pray that we would be founded and anchored upon the rock, that we would think the way you want us to think and speak the way you want us to speak and live the way you want us to live, O oh God, that we might be rejoicing, knowing that our salvation is steadfast and certain, that Jesus died on the cross to save and to forgive us of our sins, of our selfishness, of our isolated, selfish ways, Lord. We pray that evermore we might increase into the fullness and the measure and the, and the maturity and the stature of a healthy faith, Lord. That these things of earthly affairs might be invested to have eternal reward eternal consequences for how we live in the natural. Give us supernatural eyes, not to be depressed and sad, but to see your glory, to see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, welcoming all those who know him and love him and live for him, O oh God. We pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet so that we not stumble. Don't allow darkness to occupy the hearts and the thoughts of your people, but allow them to Look up to the heavens from whence cometh our help, Lord. And we pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we might serve you in a manner which pleases you in all times, Lord. Take away every immaturity, all selfishness from our hearts that we might know you and might serve you and that this world might enter in to the provisions of God in this generation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the totality of the expression of our life in the spirit is contrary to the natural. And so the Bible splits it up between the natural man and the supernatural man, the spiritual man. And when we are far and distant from salvation, we personally lose. And if we don't come to salvation, we're lost forever. Our eternity is without God and without our own forever. So we get saved, and this is how it happened in our house. First, it was my mom. My mom was the first one to start receiving Christ. And when she received Christ, she shared it with my sister. And my sister came to Christ. So now there was two in the family. It was single because me and Jules and Raul as the brothers and my father had decided we haven't heard anything such as salvation, so we kept away from it for a good six months while my mom and my sister enjoyed. My aunt had gotten saved also. She brought them to the Lord, my mother and my sister. Uh, six months later, we were visiting the church, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and then my little brother gave his heart to the Lord, and then my dad gave his heart to the Lord a year later. 
He surrendered to Christ. Call, call it personal salvation. A person who has experienced personal salvation can tell you, I once was sad, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once didn't know about eternity, but now Jesus died for my sins. And there's nothing more glorious than finding salvation than to share it with someone else. So they shared it with the whole family. By the end of the year and a half, all the Molina family went from a single salvation experience to a family salvation experience. And that was glorious. That was awesome. We were all on the ark ready to go to heaven. And then it didn't stay there because our single salvation that turned into a family salvation hooked us up into a church that prepared us to save other families. So I can tell you thousands upon thousands of families have come to salvation in Jesus Christ through our family. Thousands upon thousands. Uh, in every expression, in every regard, the walking in the fullness of our salvation led to our family being saved, and our family being saved led to what's called community, which means that those people around us begin to come to the Lord by thousands upon thousands, being a blessing to all the families upon the earth wherever we go. We're an expression of what happened individually, what happened in the unity of our family, locally, privately, and then that to the church and to the nations. And so we, we begin to ask the question, why did God pick us? Why did God pick our family to bring salvation to it? Um, you have to know God to understand why he picks you. What you think he picked you for is totally different than what he did. And, and we see in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, that God, to avoid any confusion, tells us why he picked us. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You are to be separated by God as a different people. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people that belongs to God for himself. A special treasure that is above all the peoples of the face of the earth. In other words, that when God has his sight set upon you, it makes you extremely valuable in his eyes and you become a people that is set above all the peoples of the earth. Now, if you know the heart of God, he doesn't set you above to give you a value of selfishness or um, elitism. That you might be all oh, the Molina family, all oh, the, 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 the Prieto family. Oh. No, verse 7. He didn't pick you because you're special. He picked you. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more numerous than any other people. It's not because you were the strongest. It's not because you were the brightest. It's not because there's something. He says, for you were the least of all peoples. You, you were going nowhere very fast. And God wanted to show that if he could bring salvation to your family, surely all the families are worth salvation. Surely, if he could do it in my life, total disaster, total crazy, twisted, out of order, he could definitely do it in the lives of others. And so that's why the Lord says that he did it. He says you were the fewest Amongst people. It wasn't your strength. 
in verse 8, he did not set his love upon you because you were more numerous, but you were the least. Verse 8 says, he loved you, but because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the promise he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So I want you to have this mind frame here that as under the bondage and the oppression of Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, but, but in, our, in our scenario, it's not, it's not the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, it's Satan. It's the king of this world, the prince of the air of rebellion and disobedience. And he took us out of selfishness. Through his love, he, he, would, he would bring us out. And a lot of people celebrate the devil's no longer in my house. How many, how many remember that day? The devil got evicted. He no longer could come and bring his craziness to our house. And that's a glorious day. But God did not bring you out of Egypt so that you're not under the devil's spell anymore. He brought you out of Egypt so you enter the promised land. And the promised land is the expression to live a life in its fullness of God's desire. And that's where a lot of people, um, they, they tatter and they're lost. The majority of them got lost in the desert. Imagine that. The Lord takes you out of a bad place. He hasn't introduced you yet to the good place. And you get lost in the shuffle somewhere in the middle. And the great majority of Christians never see the purpose why God pulled them out of selfishness. Because they never come into the place where they have an expression of love in the promised land. Uh, the expression of love is the bountiful abundance of God's provision. We get, we get lost in the middle. A lot of people get lost in the middle. And, and we, we have a concern about that in the natural. In the natural, when I get to heaven, the Lord says, Joaquin, you did great in preaching the gospel of salvation and pulling these guys away from the devil. Now they're free, but you never... Let them, you didn't lead them into the promised land. You didn't lead them to spiritual maturity. They, they left Egypt. They left being slaves of their passions and, and of their taskmasters. But somewhere in the middle, got lost in going around the desert. You'll see that Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says that, that not only... Stopping to be selfish is part of the game plan. So, so yeah, um, individually, we all left sin and corruption and the ways of this world. And we no longer think like those that are prisoners of their worries, anxieties, and fears. Now we're thinking, listen to me, God wants us to be a free people. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. The expression of non-selfishness. I want to tell you that selfishness sometimes makes you feel good. But its end is darkness. The works that God has for us are not personal works. Look what it says in verse 25. That you not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
So now, it's not a singleness of mine. It's not a family, because we could say like this, you know, Jesus came into our family. My mom and dad are not going to get divorced no more. And so now we're a wholesome family. He didn't save us for that. He didn't save us so that now mom and dad would not get divorced and we would have peace in our home. He saved us to move us to community, to be able to gather with other families so that we can move into a greater expression of God's desire. Not assembling ourselves, many have a custom, as it is the manner of some, but the exhortation, you know, telling, reminding each other, reminding one another, even more as the day is approaching. What does that mean? Listen very well. The fact that Jesus saved you and your family out of the world and out of its destruction and moved you out of that place, it's not until we come to the maturity of unselfish relationships. That's called love. That's why he says stir up love in one another and those things that love creates because he's coming soon. The day is approaching where Jesus is going to come back and he doesn't want you to go from serving Satan and the ways of this world and selfishness to now we are a, our family. It's not until we have an expression in the Lord's and, and so you'll see this as it comes about. Um, Paul says it like this in Philippians 3.12. He says, guys, I'm a tremendous leader. I had a tremendous salvation experience. Jesus Christ showed up to me on the road to Damascus. I've, I've, I've started, but I have not already attained it. Not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected. He's saying, I'm not over here yet. I'm still thinking about me and my wife and my new baby that's coming and we have a beautiful little house because we're Christians and Jesus is in our home and Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. All that stuff is kindergarten grade Christianity. It's not until you say, you know something, as for me and my house, we're going to go be perfected. We're going to go serve the Lord. We want when the Lord comes back for us to be involved, not only in salvation individually, not only in salvation family, which a lot of us still have not been able to, to, to reach our family, but then to serve God with those that are not our natural biological families, you better be perfected. You better have Christ in your heart. So every time there's, there's an offshoot of this, he says, I have not already attained. I'm not ready perfect, but I'm pressing forward. I'm pressing against the pressures that are keeping me away so that I might lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. It's not just a single experience. Listen, I, I had conversations with the Lord before. He says, Joaquin, if you would like, you and Yvette and your boys could go on Sundays to a church and then go live your life together and, and you'll be blessed and you'll be prosperous. You'll be doing stuff that's tremendous. But to be able to, to serve, to not think about me and my family, to, to, to have a priority, uh, what our schedule now has nothing to do with our family. If, if you want to ask, ask my children. They'll tell you. We, we don't say, okay, dad, what do you want to do? Or dad, what we want to do? We're saying, what does the Lord want us to do? 
It's no longer about individuals in our family, and it's no longer about our family unit, what the Molinas want to do, um, a little experiment to, to say, you know something? We're, we're, I, I told somebody last week, I said, I'm going to imitate you. See, you, you're not going to go to church on Sunday? I'm not going to go to church on Sunday either. And he's like, no, you got to go. I said, why do I have to go? You're the pastor. You also if everybody were to imitate your behavior, there'd be no expression of church. If everybody decided to go do their hobby, if everybody decided to come to church half hour before it starts and leave right after it's out, what type of church is that going to be? It's going to be a, it's not going to look anything like the promised land. It's going to look like a desolate wilderness. It's going to look like there's nothing taking place there. And so when we're talking to have a roadmap to maturity, some of you guys are seeing already. And so, verse 13, Philippians 3.13, he says, Not only have I not, I press on to grab that. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own yet. I, I'm, I haven't apprehended it. I'm not grasping this thing. But one thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to forget the way I used to live, and I'm going to reach forward to the things which are ahead. What does it look like? To deny myself and come to Christ, deny our, as a family unit, deny ourselves, and then to come into community and corporate worship, and then to be used by God for those things which are ahead of us. And so Paul is saying, so what I do in verse 14, I'm going to press. You, you feel that it's pressure? That's where that word press comes from, pressure. I'm going to pressure towards that goal, towards that end, the prize of the upward call. There's something greater in the expression if I'm participating in that manner. Uh, we, we tell people that come to church for the first time, we say, do us a favor. Um, we've been doing this now for 20 years. Uh, when you come, can you please shut up? Can you please just keep your mouth shut for a season so you find out what the community of families have been here for 20 years together. We're pressing forward to have an expression not of an individual what you would like, not what you feel, not what is your preference, but trying to, to move with a greater expression of the body of Christ. Listen to me. I, I want to tell you something. This is really funny. We look a lot more attractive when we're doing things together than when we're doing things apart. We, we look like we got it going on, man. We got, we got Rosie in the cafeteria. We got the, the ushers. We got the media. We got the Sunday school. We're doing stuff in community. Why? Because we've gotten past our single, nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about our family. Listen to me. We're, we're in the promised land now seeing the expression of things that we're not doing, but in a whole, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's, that talks about Jesus Christ. People see the Lord and what's going on. One of the things that freaks them out, you have the little beboppers. They're like two, three years old. And then you have the ones going home already speaking about the things they're seeing. I see the Lord on the throne. You're like, brother, you're about to check out. Okay, what are you seeing? Okay, the older people, the younger people, all in conjunction having the expression of a salvation experience. But it's based on putting away selfishness. We're not going to see these things. He says, so I'm going to let these pressures that I'm against... I'm going to press against them toward the goal of the prize of an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the most difficult thing for men to do, to crucify the flesh. And so Paul is concerned about these manners. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says like that. He, 
examine yourself. Put, put some wires on your heart and get a read. And if it says selfish pig, you know you're missing the mark. If it says you, me, myself, and I, you're missing the mark. Look what he says there. Let's, let's get that verse up there. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Put those wires in and check the last month reading, the last six-month reading. And when you read me, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, me, my grandchildren, my husband, my grandchildren, me, my house, me, and it, me, you know that something is stuck. Something is stuck because it's not about you. And it says, test yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Examine. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless he's not, and then you're disqualified? If you can't see a denying, okay, so we go back here. In this most basic level, people don't have time for God. Personally, just, just them. God's not in my schedule. He, he's not, I don't make decisions based on, on Christ being in me. And then the next one is in our family. If, if your kids are dragging you, they're the influence of the priorities set in your agenda, I suggest your family come to Christ. Because the Bible says in James 3.16 that the most wicked of all people are those that are pursuing selfish ambition. If you read James 3.16, it says, where there's envy and self-seeking, all you're going to end up is being confused, and the devil is going to personify there. We, we saw that last year in Miami. A 17-year-old went to ask his mom, can I have a party in our house? And she says, no, no party in our house. You know what he did? He killed her. He dragged her into her room and covered her with mattresses and with sheets, and he had a party. Because it's his priority. Because when you're seeking your own thing, you, you're just as much like Satan than anybody ever was. Because it's not about you. And the expression is my daughter again, poor soul. She keeps on coming out in these sermons. We'll be driving down the street. Hey, what do you guys want to eat? And, and all the way in the back row, she says, I don't want to have it. And I said, whoa, 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 buddy. You're the last one to get here. You're the last one we're going to ask. You don't get to to drive the family around with what you want? That, that's a messed up way of thinking. She has to take her turn. I was the first one in that family. And then her mom, and then her older brother, and we'll go down. We're not going to allow the pleasures and the desires and the appetite of someone immature, and, and this for her sake, this was about six years ago. So she's not doing that now. But, but the Bible says that, that we're not pursuing our own. And so we see Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 16, where it says, Woe is the land whose king is a child. Why does it say that? You don't want to have woe to you, O land, when your church is run by the last person that got there. By a brat who just wants her own ways at her own times in her own. I say, listen to me. You don't have any chance to speak in this church unless you've been here for five years and if you've shown Self, selflessness that you show love because you're definitely not the priority 
uh, somebody came up to me last week and says, look, I'm, I'm wondering or not if I could have, a, if I fit in your church. See, I have this situation. And I said, no, you're not a fit for our church because this is not about you. This is about Jesus. This is, you go for, do your stuff somewhere else. We don't want to replicate your insanity and your chaos and your selfishness in our midst. Why? Because we have a roadmap to maturity. We know that it, its most basic expression is selfishness. Then you, you share that denial of self with your wife and with your children, and they're on base, and they're not thinking about themselves. They, they want to move into community because their parents are showing that community is better than the selfishness of isolation. Because if people were to act like them, there would be nowhere to go and no one to be with. Introduce Satan. He could care less about those around him. So there it is. He says, you test yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 6, examine yourself. We at one time thought that faith had no examination. We didn't know who was right and who was wrong. And then he, verse 5 says, examine yourself, right? And test yourself to see if Jesus is living on the inside. If there's too much me, myself, and I, he's not. There's still the old nature of sin in his own ways, in his own personal attractions. Verse 6, he says, but if you look at my life, this is Paul, I'm confident that you will know that we're not disqualified. Why? Because Paul's life did not consist of his thoughts, of his words, or his ways. In other words, he had put that away so that he could reach maturity. And, and I want you, next time you have an opportunity to be in a conversation with someone who doesn't let you speak, record them. They usually won't let you speak. It's all about them. Record them and count how many times they say me, myself, or I. And the whole conversation is about what's going on with them. They don't see outside of their own scenario. He says, if you look at my life, I trust you'll see that we're not disqualified. Verse 7. Now we communicate with God. We pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. You're, you're seeing the way we live. You think we're not about God's business. You'll see that the fruit of our labor concerns other people constantly. Uh, my friends tell me all the time, uh, lawyer friends, they're like, when is it about you? When, when is it about your family? You know when it was about me and my family? When Jesus died on the cross. Everything he did to deny himself was my benefit. Now, if I'm going to honor that, I needed to deny myself to move with God into the promised land, into the expression of God's pleasure and not my own. And so there it is. The Bible says in Jude chapter, th um, well, let's go to verse 10 in this same chapter, verse 10. A couple rows down, a couple verses down, he says these words. He's in 2 Corinthians 13, 10. Look what he says. This whole experience. Therefore, this is why I'm writing these things, even though I'm not there with you. Lest being present, I should come as too sharp, as I'm busting your chops too hard. And I do so according to what the Lord has called me to do for your edifying and not for your destruction. Some people might think this morning, well, the pastor's busting our chops again. No, I'm not, listen, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's my responsibility is to build you up to the place that God wants and not to destroy you, to take you to a level 
that will have an expression of God's favor. There'll be no doubt in your children's life that those who deny themselves will raise up to the purposes of God. And those that do not deny themselves will continue steadfastly in their selfishness, their lack of love. Now let's go to Jude chapter, th- um, chapter 1 verse 3. Why, why, why are we talking about these things? Why is Paul saying, examine yourself? My authority is to build you up, not to destroy you. He says, because some, while I wanted to write to you about our common foundation, I found it necessary to talk about you contending, and that word contend is a wrestling, that you wrestle earnestly for the faith which was given to you. Why does Paul write this letter to Jude? Why, why is he writing this letter? Because he says, the faith that denied you to teach you to deny your family, to teach you to participate in community, has been warped. I wanted to talk to you about salvation, but I want to talk to you about faith. Verse 4, because some have entered, certain men have snuck in. They're unnoticed. Nobody even, they're here. And nobody can tell that they're, they're not going to obtain salvation but condemnation because they turn, they twist the grace of God into lewdness and dis- deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. To not be able to, see, if we get non-redeemed, unsafe men, bypass their families, they're not giving the goods to their families, now they're in community, and every time they have something they're going to do has nothing to do with God or his purposes. Have nothing to do with the mind of Christ and the heart of the Lord. And, and the Bible says that these men are twisting faith. They're more selfish than they are unselfish. They're more about isolation than family. Watch what it says here. Um, the expression of our faith, Matthew 16, 23. Jesus is going to the cross to die for unredeemed man. Peter comes and says, hey, Jesus, you know that game plan you're going to do? Don't do it. God forbid you ever lose your life. God forbid you ever go to the cross and deny yourself. This this is one-on-one. The guy standing right next to him who has snuck into community is saying, listen to me. This is going to cost you your life. Don't go there. And and Jesus' response is, he turned aside to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Like you're in front of me. You're trying to stop me from doing God's pleasure. You're an offense. That word offense is a stumbling stone. You're going to make me trip. For you are not mindful. You're not viewing things from God's perspective, but you're seeing them from man's perspective. Truly anybody who sees the life of a man's sacrifice for the kingdom is going to come up to this conclusion. Ready? You don't have a life. You're here on Monday. You go somewhere on Tuesday, you're here on Wednesday, you're here on Thursday, you're overseeing on Friday, on Saturday, and Sunday, your life is lost. Yeah, that is. We're lost to this world that we might be present. And I've been challenged for 32 years. Here's what God says. When I was a lawyer and a businessman was going to put the first Cuban restaurant in Fort Lauderdale. How many know that would have money? First Cuban restaurant in Fort Lauderdale. He says, Joaquin, 50-50, come on. We'll go 50-50. 
It's called Mikasa. It's a great name in Fort Lauderdale, Broward County. This was 20 years ago, where there's no, no expression of Cuban croquetas and café con leche in Broward County, about an hour north. And I said, let's do it. Oh, $5,000 every month, right? Right? And the Lord says, you want to be a businessman for the glory of this world, or do you want to be my servant? Do you want to put me at the forefront of your life? Lord, you purchased me. I don't belong to me anymore. I want to serve your pleasure and not mine. So it could have been a franchise. It could have gone all over the place. Guess what? No. His ways are much more greater than our ways. What his plans are are much higher than my plans. And so I have no right to kidnap, sequester, divert, disconnect, or distance myself for personal benefit. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a, a business owner. I just told a couple of men in the last couple of your gift is business. Express yourself. Own the land. Multiply. Fill the earth. Be expansive because your priority in serving God is blessing the house of the Lord with the increase of your fruits. This is a totally different scenario. In other words, their, their foremost expression in business is to prosper the work of the Lord. And that's community. And that's power. So the scenario is that, that here, our roadmap to maturity, the issue is, Lord, not what I want. What do you want? What is the expression of my giftedness and fruitfulness for thine glory, for your power? I don't want to be showing up at heaven. My friend Carlos is up there. And to be, you know, you, you had 48 years. Where was your focus? How many hours did you spend at the gym? Uh-oh. I never had time for the things of God. Spent eight hours a week at the gym. And so here we see Peter telling Jesus, let this not happen to you, Lord, Matthew 16, 23. And he says, listen, get aside of me. Some of you guys have to learn this language. When people are saying, I feel sorry for you, all you do is serve God. What do you mean that's all I do? That's the best I could do. That's the, that's the best investment there is. My exchange of the time I give to God and his purposes and his priorities for his glory. And so there it is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. When Paul is talking about being able to finish the race in a manner which honors God, it's how much I've been able to walk in God's community to impact the nations. How does my life have an expression for greater good before I meet my creator? He said, more of them, brethren, this is Paul writing, I do not want you to be unaware that all those that went before us were all together under the cloud and passed through the sea. This is, this is momentous because it's not only self it's family and family tied to community, and they're all walking in the expression towards something greater than the individual self. And a lot of us are making plans for our kids to come out of our families and to come out of our communities, and I promise you they're going to perish in the desert. What you thought was for good, because you did not have the priority, they all passed. Verse 2 says, 
And they did this. They all were baptized in, into Moses, into the cloud, into the sea. Verse 4, they all not only were baptized, they all ate, verse 3, right? They all ate the same spiritual food. Say it with me, all. They're all eating the same spiritual food. And verse 4 says they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of a spiritual walk that followed them. That rock was Christ. The expression of everything that would satiate and satisfy their hunger and thirst was through Christ. Verse 5 happens to be the saddest verse in this paragraph. He says, but with most of them. Say with that, most. What's that mean? That the majority of them, God was not pleased. They perished in the desert. They were not part of the end result. How many, how many people know that over 10,000 people have come through this church? 10,000. And they all drank the same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink, and were moving in community to change the world. We're impacting the nations. And if you look back through the journey, you see perished in the desert. There's one thing in common they all have, me, myself, and I. They weren't thinking about somebody else. I, I would tell them, I, I would bring these men individually. I would grab their hands and say, come here, come here, come here. Sit in front of all this Sunday school class. Look at the Hanau sons, my sons. Look at Palma's daughters. Look at Javier's daughters. And you care more about yourself and your stinking family than you do about community. There's one guy, oh, my daughter can't play the piano? Then I'm not going to be here. Really? Guess what? I didn't know that was in your heart. You don't belong here if it's all about your daughter. Another guy, oh, my speaker's not loud enough for my guitar on the speaker, so I'm leaving. Every single one of them, the expression of me, myself, and I trampling a generation of world changers. And this is what the Bible's saying. With most of them, God was not well pleased. And even though he caught them, he removed them from Egypt, from serving Satan in, in Egypt, and he was bringing them to the promised land. They died in the journey because they were selfish. God was not pleased with them. Verse 6, they were scattered in the wilderness. These, say with me, became an example I don't want to finish not getting to where God is leading me. This is not about me. It's not about my family. It's about the community and the expression of God's desire. The things are our example for the intent with the purpose that we not lust after evil things as they lusted. They, they wanted to grab on to, to their own desire. Verse 7. He gives this example. He says, don't lust and don't walk in idolatry. Don't become idolaters. Idolatry is putting something up above God. What is it that they put above God? The people sat to eat, to drink, and they rose up to play around. Pleasure entertainment that comes as a priority before our service to God is idolatry. Oh, I thought idolatry was, was being in front of a statue and lighting candles. No. Everything you raise above God as more important. That is your idol. And you're, you're showing your kids this is more important than the God you serve. Verse 8. They lusted. They were idolatry. They committed sexual immorality. Uh, when we're talking about sexual immorality, 
a lot of people think about um, sex, obviously, but, but this is the affection of the soul. Something would be so grounded in your soul, a uh, 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 self-seeking pleasure. You're looking for your own pleasure. Well, nobody w- wants to do what I want to do. Okay? That, that, that'll keep you out of the kingdom. This is not about your pleasure. In, in fact, I've said this many times. Um, what I do in the last 30 years following Christ is denying my pleasure. That's the cross. It's not what I want. It's not what Jesus wanted in Gethsemane. He says, Father, pass this cup. It's not what I want. But nevertheless, not my will. Whenever you have that expression, you know that you're on the roadmap to heaven. You're, you're taking inventory. You're saying, not my will. Thine be done. So that kept people in the desert. Not only sex, but pleasure, personal pleasure. Verse 9. These are five things. Don't let us tempt Christ as some of them, some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Um, This thing about tempting Christ is that, you know, we're living in a world without parameters and without measures and without weights. You know, there's no one, I just read something this morning. It says, nothing is fact. Everything is a matter of opinion. Could you believe this generation feels that that is a true statement? That there's nothing true, it's all a matter of perspective. Of 50 shades of gray, right? There's no white and there's no black, it's, it's, it's all depends. Listen to me, I'm going to tell you a thing right now. To honor your father is a fact, it's not a preference. To double honor your pastor is a fact, it's not an opinion. And, and these things are in the Bible, and it says some of them tempted Christ and were destroyed by serpents. What does that mean? If you come out of the parameters of the factual commandments of the word of God, you stand to be bitten. And I've, I've seen people be bitten by Satan, where you say, well, that's not going to, I could do what the pastor said not to, and nothing's going to happen. Listen to me. It's not about the pastor. You're trampling the word of God. You're you're subverting God's order for safety. And you think Satan's not going to be there. You're deceived. And a lot of them were deceived and destroyed. Verse 10, we finish with this. He says, and don't complain. I didn't like your sermon, so what am I supposed to do? You better not complain. (laughs) Because those who murmured, and that's a silent, nobody found out. I don't like what the pastor said today. I'm not going to tell nobody. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. Those who complained were destroyed by the destroyer because those seeds come from Satan. They just come to, to sow, what's it called? Tears amongst the, the seeds. God is giving you a roadmap to eternity. And, and it does you well to listen to where we're headed so that you not perish in the desert. And then verse 11 says again, and the only reason we're saying this is because all these things happen to them for our example so that we might learn, written for our admonition, those who will finish the ends of the ages. Somebody says, are we in the last days? Your answer is, "Uh uh-huh, because that letter was written to those that are going to finish here on earth. This, this preaching is an in-time preaching um, for those of us that want to be found blameless upon the Lord's return. Who was that? 2 Timothy 4.6. What's he say? I know for a fact 
And I could rejoice. No, let's go to, I'm sorry, Philippians 2. No, I'm sorry, I'm, I was right the first time. 2 T T Timothy 4, 6 and 7. Here's Paul at the end of his life. Now, he's already run his race. He's, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. What's his life about? Being poured out for the benefit of others. That's, that's, what, that's what faith is. Your, your strength and your ability and your, uh, your, your, your prosperity is for others. That, and the time of my departure is about to take place. I've gotten to the place where I'm no longer living for Satan and his systems and his ways and serving mammon. And, and my pleasure, I've been set free. My, now my family is on course. Now we've moved over to the community of world changers that are not living to do their will, but they want Christ to be known. They, they, they want his purposes to be seen. And he says, as a drink offering, I've been poured out, strengthening that at that time of my departure is near. Verse 7, he says, so I have fought the good fight and I finished Past tense, the race, I've kept the faith. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my family. It wasn't about my priorities. It's, it's what are the giftings and the strength of my family and the purposes of God to enjoy the promised land, enjoy the purposes of God. I've finished the fight. I've run the race. So what's the result? Verse 8, finally, at the end of all, there's a crown of righteousness. There's laid up, reserved for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those that love his appearance. All those that are living for God's glory. He's not going to be impressed with the vanity of this life. Philippians 2.17, Paul says in the, in the course of his race, to the Philippians, he says, but even now, I'm being poured out. This was during the process. I'm being, I'm being, listen to me, this is an expression in the natural of something wasted. In the natural, it's like, why are you, you're just pouring that stuff out. It, it has, listen to me, it's glorious in the sight of God. My life, I could be doing a million things, but I'm doing his pleasure as an offering of sacrifice and service for your faith. My life is for your increase, for your benefit. I'm glad and rejoice when I see you coming into the purposes of God. That's what Paul's saying. My, my life is being poured out for your benefit. And so in that regards, Jeremiah 16, 19 I don't want to replicate what our fathers in previous generations have done. It was all about me, myself, and I. And at the end of the day, there's nothing to show for it. The greatest glory of this earth, it diminishes. He says, Lord, you're my strength and my fortress. You're my refuge in the day of hardship. The Gentiles that don't know you shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely your fathers have inherited lies and worthless and unprofitable things. Guys, to serve Satan is a bad predicament. To serve self is the thing closest next to serving Satan. That your family would serve their selfish interests is sad. One of my cousins, he's lived his whole life, it's me and my family. And now he taught his ways to his children. They don't want to have anything to do with their dad. 
That selfish has, has inflicted the heart. So he's, he's solo. They're solo. Everybody is a selfish pig. They don't know how to do family. They don't know how to do community. They don't know how to do the glory of God. Let's stand today and say, Lord, don't let me fall short in the desert and perish. Don't let me lose sight of the things that we're learning in this house. That our lives would, would anything that, that is beneficial, any gifting, any prosperity would serve the benefit of the overall majority as we learn how to deny self. And, and so you see in this world, you'll see it. I, I want you guys to see uh, the newscast, the newspapers, and, and everybody's asking one question. Ready? They're asking, what is the problem with what's going upon the earth? Why is everything turned crazy? Why is there chaos and darkness? 2 Timothy 3.1. You ought to know this, that in the last days, there will be dangerous times. And verse 2 says, because men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. These are, these are the times we're living. Listen, um, the stark contrast today is that we have a roadmap and we're headed in the opposite direction. And the community of believers serving God is the only entity upon the earth. Matthew chapter 8, verse uh, 8, 16, verse 18. He says these words. He says that I'm going to build a church that hell will not prevail against. There's going to be an entity, a body of people that are doing over here. And, and, and the world mocks it. And, and they make fun of it and they don't want to participate because it's, it's, it's a call to death to deny yourself so that you could be part of greater good. And, and I thank God for 32 years he's called me away from my selfish pig mentality to serve the king of glory. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a clear roadmap that you do not want us to perish in the desert of me, myself, and I. That selfishness is a derision to any nation. We pray, Father God, that the spirit of Christ that was in Christ that allowed him to deny himself and raise him up from the dead would be the same power that is operating in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, Lord, so that others might see the promised land in our lives. They might see the community of families that have been called to change the world as the body of Christ, as the church of the living God. We pray, Father God, that that spirit that was able to lead Paul to finish his race and to, to fight the good fight, to be poured out as a drink offering, would also be our witness and our testimony on the day we leave this earth, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that you lead us to triumph, that you lead us from glory to glory into that expression as we mature, as we perfect our faith, Lord, as we make ourselves more and more available to see your reality upon the earth, Lord. And we give you thanks for this day you have made. We pray for the families in this church that you might prosper them, that you might increase, that you might make them fruitful, Lord. Satan, we rebuke you in Jesus' name. Your assignment for selfishness over our families is renounced and destroyed right now in Jesus' name. And we declare, Father God, that every person that hears this message will press forward to the upward call 
and prize in Christ Jesus, we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.